So I first heard about Jersey Gregorick from listening to him on the Tim Ferriss podcast and hearing him on other media outlets. He's one of the most interesting people. He's a poet. He's a power lifter. He's so many of the different things that normally don't go hand in hand. And he's all of that. And that's what I love about him. And we get to go into all of that from different things for the body and different things for the creative arts. And he's just one of those well-rounded humans, a, a real warrior poet, which for those of you who've been following me for a long time is a concept that I'm a huge fan of. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with one of the most interesting people I've ever met, Jersey Gregorick. Before we get started with the podcast with Jersey, I wanna to talk to you guys about Skillshare. Now, you might've heard me talk about them before. It's absolutely one of the best online learning platforms that I've ever seen. And talking to parents right now, schools are trying to pivot to go online and they're really not doing a very good job. Like the classes that are being offered from traditional schools, well, even when you go to the traditional schools, they weren't always all that good anyways, but then trying to pivot to online classes, they're really not cutting it. And it doesn't cut it for either kids or adults because that's not really what they were designed for. And a company like Skillshare is actually creating classes that are gonna be incredibly functional for anybody at any age. So I remember like one of my favorite classes in college were some of my writing classes and especially my fiction classes. Some of the stories that I wrote in my fiction classes are some of the things that I remember the most. And I was fortunate I had a great professor and it was a great class. Well, Skillshare can bring that to you without you having to go to a super expensive college and find like one out of every 10 classes that's awesome that you actually remember. So you can go to writing character-driven short stories on Skillshare or creative personal writing, writing about the real you and have really top level coaches and teachers teach you these skills so that if you wanna be a writer, you can write. If you wanna be a photographer, you can learn how to be a photographer. If you wanna be an iPhone filmmaker, you can do that. There's so many different tools that Skillshare offers that are just awesome. So I'm just thankful and happy that Skillshare is out there, that they exist, that they have all of these classes available, and they're not that expensive. So you can get two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash Aubrey. That's two full months where you get to explore this and all the classes for free. And you just go to Skillshare.com slash Aubrey and take advantage of those two months. I mean, in those two months, you might level up so much that you're gonna be surprised at what you're gonna birth. And we all have these different passions and these different things that really call to us. And maybe it won't be a profession. You know, I'm not gonna be probably a professional short story writer, but the writing techniques that I learned, the storytelling from that class is something that I've been utilizing for the rest of my life in my actual careers and professions. So I encourage you guys to check this out whatever your vocation, whatever your passion, whatever your side hustle, whatever the thing is that calls to you, Skillshare has some coaching and some teaching available for you. So once again, Skillshare.com slash Aubrey. Jersey, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we've already been having a great conversation. Wow. <laughs> we almost didn't finish there. Oh, yeah, we didn't, yeah. didn't we want to finish. Did a podcast, we didn't want to come right? here. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of things to talk about but um you know let's talk about for the first first part let's talk about your history in olympic weightlifting and uh and and what you've learned from that journey because that's that's a big part of your your life history you know this explanation uh of that or and the history is always coming with a different way <laughs> mm -hmm. whenever i'm asked about that mm -hmm. i say it <laughs> yeah <way>. totally <laughs> 
So I, I, I trained in um, Olympic weightlifting uh, in Poland. I was 13 when I started. And when I was, uh, uh, let's say, I have to go to the time where I was 18, 19, I entered the fire department and then I was a fireman. Mm. So we talk about that. We'll talk about that more. Yeah, what it means to be- What uh, it means to be a hero. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or to be a fireman, right? Yeah. <laughs> or a policeman, like your dad. Yeah. And really love Olympic weightlifting. Uh, something that uh, challenged me and and gave me possibility to uh, train myself. Mm -hmm. I was one on one with it, like uh, one on one with numbers. Numbers weightlifting is just numbers. It's like you fight numbers. Mm. You fight two fifteen or two twenty seven. <laughs> <laughs> you fight numbers constantly. You fight numbers. And then it's uh, uh, the other aspect of it is the is the mind and micro progression, and then you uh, train that nervous system to lift more and overcome more weight and match the dead weight. You know, every time when you go to unknown, and unknown is that place where uh, you didn't lift certain weight before. And then you will lift for the first time. It's completely unknown. You mm. never know where the bar is going to end above your head, whether mm -hmm. it will loop and will go backwards or front, or you actually make it. Mm -hmm. Always unknown. And uh, so what what it's done in weightlifting is every time you have this accumulation of repetitions, numbers. And then you will have all the lifts that must must match before you actually attack the weight. So everything has to work before. Mm. All the numbers have to work. So the, you, it sounds like number. it sounds like you you had a pretty meticulous plan, right? You know, like a very careful plan. You talked about micro progressions, exactly. And it's probably why Tim Ferriss liked you know getting coached by you so much because he's very much of a numbers, very meticulous with his the way that he approaches his training. You know, oh yeah, certain... he, uh, yeah, he loves numbers definitely, yeah. <laughs> and, but not only numbers. He loves uh, uh, data. He loves uh, yeah. Uh, his journal. He loves to uh, know what he's doing, and and he loves to progress in life. Right. So that's probably the most important. He loves the results. He loves the goals, but he loves the results, and he wants to deliver something. Mm. So, in order to deliver, you you have to be in a process of uh, micro progression. It means process, micro progression, and process and progress. Mm. So when uh, when I coached him, he was always with his journal. Mm. And he was always just uh, scribbling something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we were in the gym, he just, uh, we were talking about something. Then he went to the corner, opened his journal, and <laughs> wrote. After a while, I got used to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, this micro progression is, uh, um, is vital. If you don't know how to do that, then you cannot accumulate and you cannot adapt the body to the higher resistance or higher challenge. 
So and what are you, so what are your key principles to the micro progression? Use weightlifting as the example, which I'm sure is a metaphor for other forms of micro progression. But because there's recover, there's training, there's recovery, there's all of the different elements. Right. Well, are, you know, I will talk to you uh, about this cerebral palsy boy that I coach, right? And mm-hmm. I coached him for five years. Uh, when he came, he was completely dependent on parents, dressing, and then clothing, and then. Um, Eating everything was was done for him. So when he came, he couldn't lift fifteen pounds bar aluminum bar off the rack. Right, that's how he was. He walk on toes, and was uncoordinated and and very weak and very sluggish. Okay, you don't have to know that he has cerebral palsy to really coach him. Mm. Most important is that you know that he is that way. Mm. So um, I set up the press and then found out that he cannot even take this 15 pounds bar. And I had always, uh, so I coached this uh, little kids, like five-year-old, and they were doing snatches and I made this wooden bar, three pounds bar. And it's really cool. My my daughter was, you know, three years old. She was doing snatches. Three pounds bar. It looks so cute. <laughs> so, um, so I put that bar on the rack and asked him to lift. Then he lifted. Okay. Then I added five pounds, and it was eight pounds, and he lifted. Then I added 30, uh, another five pounds, it was thirteen pounds. He lifted. Then, uh, then I gave him back that. Uh, 15 pounds, and he lifted. Same lifted. day? Yeah, within like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. But he was lifted, he's like, right, that way. Right? So, but that is the beginning. That's the how his strength was, right? And then from that day, I started, you know, organizing system for him, how much to lift every Every four, three, four days, he was coming twice a week. So I loaded a little bit, loaded a little. And the first time that I started loaded two pounds, you know, every time. And then three pounds and two pounds, it depends. And then, you know, in a year, he was a lot of stronger, right? Mm-hmm. But this micro progression, I, I set up according to months and years. The, after about three years, the micro progression were only one pound right, every week. But then last year was only quarter pound. So he was stronger and stronger and stronger. But his uh, ability to adapt, right, to repeat and ad- adapt was lower and lower, the mm. stronger he was. So that's why the microprogression changed according to that. So mm. uh, the last uh, uh, year, he was uh, only breaking records once a week and quarter pound. But when you think about the quarter pound, right, and you think about the year, uh, that brings a lot of pounds, right? Mm-hmm. It was 12 pounds, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Then if you add, you know, two years, it's 24 pounds. But when you are at the end of your career, right, five pounds can be huge, right? right? So five pounds can be winning the championship or not. So he uh, he progressed throughout the five years from 15 pounds to 170 pounds. And he is a cerebral palsy boy who is 150 pounds. He, 
is extremely weak and progresses from this to that. So if you, uh, if I demanded from him too much, let's say, and then he wouldn't be able to lift or his recovery would be too long, that the micro progression would be violated. It means he would be too sore and he wouldn't be able to uh, accumulate and then adapt to that. Mm. It would be backwards. So mm. that's the major mistakes with uh, coaching and training is that people put on themselves too much and they don't think weeks and, and months and years, mm. right? When you have micro progression, you think five years. Five years is just a normal, uh, normal time to create something substantial and good in life, in any field. It's just you don't have five years, I don't even start. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I told the father, you know, you have five years and I will, uh, you know, coach this boy and I will make him independent in five years. You don't have five years, don't come here. That's so that's so important to hear because five years is something that in our culture people don't even understand. Like it doesn't like the amount the the idea that you would dedicate yourself to a plan for five years for a result. Let's say you want to lose weight. You want to lose weight immediately. If you want to get strong, you want to get strong immediately. You want to get rich, you want to get rich immediately. You want anything that you want, the expectation is that you're going to get it fast. But everybody who's a master always says the same thing like patience 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 like slow <laughs> i keep going but it's only five years really. <laughs> it's like, only five years it, it, it's you true. know look at the boy you know from completely dependent on parents you know going to uh, dressing and toilet and so on Co to complete independence he uh studies uh, he studied the last year math five hours a day he didn't have this energy at all, right? Now he has it. And then he passes eighth grade math and he's accepted to community college. From completely dependent human being to completely independence in five years. All right, this five years. Now, if I give him, you know, the parents $1 million now, but I would send the boy five years backward, they would never take the money, it's priceless. This five years, it's priceless. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's only five years. But it's, you know, in five years you can you can deliver you know magic. But you have to have this five years. There was this uh, uh, Russian coach and he said, I need 10 years to make a national champ. If I don't have it, I will destroy the one. Right? Yeah, because push you, you will push too fast, the microprogression is not going to work, and then adaptation is not going to work, and that destruction will happen. The Zen joke about this is this. The, the father uh, brought the, his son to the master to teach him happiness. So the master said, okay, so leave him here. I will talk to him, and then you can come in about an hour, and we'll begin. So, okay, good. So he talks to the boy and he tells him how he's going to do when and what. And, and he says, well, you know, if you do all of it in 10 years, you will know how to be happy. The boy says, but master, I'm a diligent student. 
I do always twice as much that, you know, uh, teachers ask me for. Wouldn't it be five years in this case? And the master says, well, in this case, it will be 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> That's well, it's a quite normal thing, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So we're talking with Jersey Gregorick today, and of course he wrote the book Happy Body. And one of the ways to have a happy body is drink some tea. You know, tea is one of those things that has great nutritional profiles beyond just the utilization of the caffeine and whatever else you might be drinking the tea for in the first place, which is why I like waking up and drinking matcha tea. I like my coffee too, but tea is something that I can drink throughout the day. And Peak Tea does just an amazing job of making this as easy as possible because they have this cold brew crystallization technology that preserves the active compounds at maximum potential. They're pure teas. They're triple toxin screened for pesticide, heavy metals, toxic molds. They're accessible and they're made for like portability, bioavailability, and just zero prep. You can just rip it open and then dump it in either hot water or cold water and then you'll get all of the benefits to your energy whether that's going to support your mental energy or support your immune system and gut health there's some great research on how drinking green tea and matcha tea has provided support for longevity and just support for overall health of the body tea is just one of those things that's great for you period and since i've discovered peak tea i'm just utilizing that way more often whether that means i'm fasting And they have a whole line of fasting teas that have been formulated by Dr. Jason Fung, who is known as an expert in intermittent fasting. So I can start with their ginger green tea and then finish with their cinnamon herbal at night. And it's just going to support me on fasting days. And the reason that I choose fasting days is because it's the fastest way to get me into ketosis. And when I'm in ketosis, I just have so much energy and so much mental clarity. And so I'll do that every once in a while is just fast for a stretch get my nutritional ketosis really high, have some really high fat foods and these teas, and I just feel really great. So I encourage you guys to give it a go, and these teas are really gonna support you during that process. So go to peaktea.com slash Aubrey, that's P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A dot com slash Aubrey, or use the code word Aubrey, and you'll get 10% off your whole order, excluding, of course, their fermented Pu'er products, but you can get 10% off everything else. So once again, that's peaktea.com slash Aubrey or code word Aubrey for 10% off your order. How would you apply that to something that's not physical, microprogression? How would you apply it? Because you're, you're a poet, you're a writer, you're a philosopher, you're a businessman, you've, you've done a lot of different things. How do you apply that principle of microprogression or do you apply that principle of microprogression to other fields? If something is unknown, like uh, like poetry cannot measure really, and who can measure poetry? Are the poets, right? So you are in that uh, uh, in that energy. What are the poets are? They know what is poetry. They know uh, what it is and how it is. They it's in them. It's not like weightlifting, three hundred pounds world record. Everybody knows. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Transparency, hundred percent. Uh-huh. When you're in poetry, you're in a contemporary world, the, the world of poets, and uh, they sense it. Those who are you know, teachers, they know what it is. And uh, these uh, you know, masters, in a way, can take you over as an apprentice and work with you or guide you or whatever it is. But there is also uh, 
progression of that, but it's seen only from the perspective of the teacher or the poet, mm -hmm. but not from the perspective of the one that is on a journey. Mm -hmm. You cannot see that. In weightlifting, you can see it. You know, if you lift 160 pounds, but 300 is the record, you know, you, know you have another is. five years, right, yeah. <laughs> to get there. But in poetry, is uh, uh, you are in complete, almost unknown. You have to uh, have the desire to to f to feel good about doing it, to to desire it, to to um, it, to somehow uh, know where uh, good writing is. You know, and then you know that uh, nobody can make you a poet, really. You know. People can work with you on improving your craft of writing, but nobody can make you a poet. Yeah. But there is a craft of writing of poetry. It just, but it's only craft of writing, right? Mm. So it's really, you know, hard to know where where it is. So which one of the different? It seems like if you're if you're talking micro progression for strength or weight loss or something along that a physical thing that you're trying to measure let's say i want to lose 50 pounds or i want to gain i want to you know, improve my bench press 100 pounds or whatever that seems like that requires both patience and dedication like diligence all of these different things but if you're doing something that is an unknown unquantifiable like you said right. like poetry like what is that What's the difference there? That that requires just courage, trust. What, what would you say? With you mean with poetry, with poetry or, or anything else, any any kind of art, any kind of thing that you're trying to offer, uh, could be an idea, could be a philosophy, could be a poem, could be a. Let's start with the something what is quantifiable. Yeah. Right. Let's say weight loss. Right. Okay. You have let's say uh, a percentage two hundred pounds, and. Uh, wants to be 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how many pounds uh, a week, let's say the person could lose? Let's say a pound, yeah? make it simple, right? So 50 pounds. Now, okay, now you have 50 pounds to lose. And this is a number. Transparency is 100%. Mm -hmm. Number is there. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, you um going to go to... um to get help, right? Because you don't know how to do it. Well, yeah, you go to a trainer or somebody, a wellness center, and, and that somebody puts you on a program and you follow the program and uh, didn't lose any pound, right? So uh, then that's not good. You go to another one and you lost 10 pounds, right? So in a week. So is that a little bit too fast? So that uh, can be controlled because you could be let's say, um, inflame, and then mm -hmm. now you drop the water and it can happen. But the progress has to happen, right? In micro-progression, the progress has to happen. So uh, let's say every week you have to lose one pound and it has to be consistent. Mm -hmm. and if it's not consistent, the skill of, of weight loss is not there. So mm -hmm. if you are erratic, you know that the teacher that is really teaching you really doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so microprogression is uh, violated here, mm. right? So the skill is consistency. 
So weight loss is very, uh, can be organized uh, to the T, right? Every week, exactly, you know, one pound for 50 weeks. And, and you can deliver this uh, um, for one pound, right? And, you know, I, uh, the, the funny thing sometimes, yeah, uh, I had clients, women, and then they had a period. And they said, but I'm on a period. So, you know, it's like I'm three pounds. I say, yeah, you were on a period a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, right? And here is the challenge that challenge that comes. Uh, now you have the numbers only, right? And the, the numbers that you actually do what you need to do, then delivery is there. But it's not so simple because then it's, then it's the brain and the mind, our lifestyle, the way we live, what is frustrated is for us to actually do what we need to do. So we are dealing with the self-control, self-discipline, liking things, disliking things, the whole unknown and the brain we are dealing now with. So that brain is 200 pounds, now then the brain needs to be 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. If not, let's say, if you take the person from 200 to 150 and that person so they, you take the fat in one day out, right? And then, uh, but the person has the brain of 200 pounds. It means the whole lifestyle is connected to this 200 pounds. How much to eat, when to right. eat, where right. to go, what kind of food, and so on, right? So that is, uh, uh, if, you, if you don't um, change that, then the person will always go backward. So that's why any weight loss systems that do not address change of the mind will never succeed because people will go always backward. Seems like a great, <clears throat> great case for micro progression in that it allows the brain time to adapt slowly. Yes, you know it's like when you let's say I have I have three younger sisters, <clears throat> and I didn't really. I, could, I never could tell how much they were growing, you know, because I saw them every day, you know, and so they would get taller. And I know they were getting taller, but because I saw them every day, they were just my sisters. But then we would go see an aunt that we hadn't seen in six months and like, oh my God, you're so tall. You know, they would say that to the, to the girls because it'd been a big gap, you know, like it happened fast for them because they hadn't seen it every day. But it seems like with micro progression, moving it, slowly intentionally every and keeping it in mind that must help the brain adapt as well yes but you see when you do the when you coach somebody to the snatch right so it's a different self-control demand than on the person who is losing weight mm. so let's say somebody comes uh like uh tim ferris right he comes first time and he has flexibility problems or some uh, soreness problems and then i designed a micro progression how to take him from uh, the half squat to the deep squat right and and then i will inch by inch will take him down if i don't do it right then it will create too much tightnesses and different pains and and i i will get stuck always get stuck right but if i develop this micro progression it means the repetitions and adaptation to that level and then move on i'm able to get him from 20 inch squat you know the the 20 inches from the top to the uh, from his um uh, bottom to the 
right. to the floor, right? To the six, seven inches. But it will take me a half a year or one year. But my brain is working how I watch him and what he's capable to do, right? That's microprogression in my brain, how far I, I can go with him. So uh, let's say uh, I'm sensing his pains, I'm sensing his uh, progress, I'm sensing his anxiety, how he is going to go and how far. And I evaluate everything. I um, set up the progress and I watch. And I, as I watch, I see the progress is happening and adaptation happens, good, right? So I move on and I'm adapting that on a weekly basis. And then when I get, let's say, to the full squat capabilities, then I, am, I will start moving into the dynamic moves, fast moves. But these are the moves, the microprogression has to be there as well. So very soft, nice jumps with receiving the bars gently, and then progressively faster and faster and faster. But what controls all of it is time. How much time is needed for that you know, to happen? Mm -hmm. So if you want to make it shorter, you will never make it, right? You'll go backward. You, you, you get tight, injured, or weaker, or exhausted, or you know, worn out. Mm -hmm. So all of this are signs that microprogression is you know, uh, violated. And then if, if you uh, have progress, everything works and uh, the athlete is uh, recovered and uh, adapted and we can move on, you are doing everything right. Yeah. But then you have the mind with weight loss. We weight loss is something else. It's, it's um, self-control is added to it. Mm. So we'll... We love food, we, we love lifestyle, and then it's really hard for us to eat a certain amount of food. We control ourselves that way. That delivery, that can be created because of it. So that is uh, a different um, element when it comes to microprogression, because microprogression is in, in losing weight. But also microprogression is how we believe, how we think, how we relate ourselves to uh, the size of food, how we relate ourselves to sugar, how much sugar, let's say, uh, to you know, the first month and the second month and so on until we achieve the, the time of not eating sugar, let's say, at all and, and base ourselves on eating all the produce. So it's everywhere microprogression. So, so it's a very complex, and what kind of exercise we are going to do, right? So mm. if you do uh, exercises that's uh, endurance exercises, those exercise exercises will burn the muscle and then will create the problem in the body that, you know, uh, uh, that we will crave more food, we'll get hungry, and then we'll lose ourselves to actually eat more. The weight loss, is, you know, losing weight is, or staying a certain way is, uh, um, it, it, it bothered, you know, it's not bothered, but it's like, it was, uh, uh, it was already difficult long time ago. Socrates, Socrates, you know, said, you know, said, eat to live, live to eat, right? He pondered on that 2,500 years ago already, yeah? So he saw that there is something 
with it that we eat too much, right? <laughs> Simply, we eat too much. <laughs> so when we eat too much, you know, we live to eat. There's something is wrong with us. Our brain is not working the right way. Uh, we become uh, these hungry beasts that, you know, we cannot control. So we only think these terms. We cannot think uh, like people who eat to live. How do and you, they how do you, What do you tell that. people? What do you tell people who, who have that struggle? Who are living to eat instead of eating to live? How do you coach them? How do you change their brain? That's the microprogression. You, you, yeah. I sit with them once a week. We talk and talk and talk from different perspective, using different words, different scenarios, and uh, we uh, every time is different. So you know, you every time you kind of. Uh, um, it's like a like a poet, yeah. Every time you focus on what happens, really. So, and what kind of a poem is in front of you? So here it is. You know, the person comes in, and what what really comes in, right? What the person brings, uh, because the frustrations are there, challenges are there. So, what kind of frustration is now? Like you know, I had this. Um, my client came. He said, "I, uh, I'm really good five days." And then two days when I go home, I completely messed up, right? Uh, <laughs> I eat too much, I eat erratic, I eat the wrong thing, and so on and so on. So, uh, okay, this is the challenge, right? It's not happening every day. It's after a year, this is the one, right? <laughs> and during that day. So um, then we talk more about this to open imagination, you know, to why this one is a, problem and how to create a plan, a strategy to deal with it. And what is really the problem? So, um, you know, people who have priority problem, you know, so then um, the priority becomes um, not the weight loss, but the priority becomes the family. So the weight loss has to be the priority. Mm. So when you work for five days and you go home, the priority is not the family or your friends, because if they are, then you will lose what you need to do. Mm. You'll lose what you know is important here, and then progress of it. So uh, uh, when I talked to him, I said, "You you cannot really abandon the the practice. Your practice is to follow what you need to do, and in spite of what your family wants." If you have to do the training, you do the training. If you have to lose, you eat this only amount of food, you eat. It's not like your family will be upset that you are eating, but if they upset, it's okay too. It's just you have <laughs> to follow what you need to do. If you uh, practice TM, if you have meditation at 5 p.m., you go, you meditate. You, you don't go and don't meditate because your friends say, oh, let's go here and there, right? You say, yeah. yeah, yeah, I will go. I will catch up with you, but I need to meditate. Yeah, you meditate. It's a, it's a, there's a, there have to be strong principles in the human brain. Develop and what is first, what is second. Prioritizations are important. And I had this prioritization in Poland that I had a, my bar, the weightlifting bar, number one <laughs> right? so there was my mother my mother was the second right so, and then then were my friends and there was my girlfriend my girlfriend was and Anila was upset all the time about that 
<laughs> that's how it was, right? Of course, Anila moved ahead on the... Yeah, uh, she bumped up a little yeah, bit. bumped up, right? We married and so on. Yeah. But, you know, I... She, made, not, it, she made it right underneath the bar. It's she not, never quite beat the bar. Yeah. It's not that the bar is more important than my mother, <laughs> but it is important that I need to do certain things in the day. Yeah, that's right? your priority. And that's so I don't lose it, right? And then that gives me, you know, uh, my own improvement, progress, microprogression, life, and so on. So without that, I, what I would be, I would collapse. I wouldn't have any, any tangible plan and strategy to actually make myself better. I would be lost. Yeah. Right? Because I would do whatever uh, friends want me to do. I would do whatever my girlfriend wants me to do and would lose my really priority and my base uh, uh, base things that are extremely important to me. Okay, so you write down your your list of priorities, right. like what your priorities are. I think you did a great job explaining that. So you have this list of priorities, but you still aren't doing it. So let's say, like, I have a friend in mine who I guarantee her top of her list of priorities would be to write. She really wants to be a writer. I have another friend who top of her list of priorities is to sing. She really wants to be a singer. Right. But if so if they if they're honest, which I believe they would be, they would put that as the number 1. But, you know, and then maybe number 4 would be hanging out with friends, you know, going to parties, maybe even lower on that. Right. But nonetheless, if you actually look at their life, at their lifestyle, parties take number 1. Priority. Well, you know what happens with the parties. Let's say you are in college, right? Yeah. And then parties are number one. You expel after a while, you're gone. You're not really <laughs> finishing the college. It's very simple in life. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's certain places, you know, it's like we talk about the comfort zone, right? You have the comfort of to sing or not to sing, and, you know, it really doesn't matter for you. Then, you know, uh, okay. But for people that, you know, uh, singing is life is something bigger than uh, money, success, fame. You know, like poetry for me is that way. I mm. write poetry; it's, it's bigger than almost anything, right? So it's like uh, it, it, it doesn't matter uh, whether I am famous or that poetry will be published or not published or will right. be read by anybody or not. Really, it doesn't matter. I'm a poet. I write my poetry, and and that's it. You know, I'm I'm not but going to go. Some people aren't you. Some people aren't you. Good. Well, Jersey. you know, it's not a me. It's like uh, you know, uh, when you love something, right? You do. That's. But your, what if you're scared? Your... What if you're scared? What if someone, let's say, it's a but what if they're scared of writing their poetry and sharing their poetry because they're identified with being a poet and they're scared of doing it? Or this person's scared of writing their book because they're. People, sure. people get afraid yeah. of these you things. I understand. That I get these to. people, but you find mentors. Mm. Then you find other people that help you actually with the priority. You know, you when you find them, that you see how they live, and then when you see how they live, it's the you know uh, mimicking. This is they're mimicking like uh, you know um, Stoics that the, the mm. teachings were was mimicking was not knowledge passing was mimicking to be. Because to be Stoic doesn't mean to know what Stoic is. So today a lot of professors know, right, what is Stoicism. 
but they are not Stoics. So <laughs> it's really, you cannot teach that Stoicism, yeah. really, right? You have to be you it can to teach, teach it. Uh, knowledge about Stoicism, but you cannot teach how to be Stoic. In order to teach that, you have to be. Well, you know, today we have these ideas of, uh, you know, depressed psychologists, you know, uh, having clients that they are depressed, right? So, um, kind of weird things happen right, in the world. <laughs> but, but mimicking, you know, is the, if you want to learn something, if you want to, uh, you know, to um, not only learn, but you become, you know, poetry, let's say, you have to surround yourself with poets. You have to be around them. You have to live and breathe that way. So, uh, you know, I remember when I was... Uh, applied to Vermont College and my poetry was rejected. So next day I called and I said, well, I would like to talk to somebody who rejected me. And uh, the woman said, you cannot, you know, call somebody because it's the decisions of people and so on, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, you don't understand me. I am this kind of a person. I want to work on my poetry. So... I know, I know, I will work on my poetry and next year I will apply. And then if you reject me the following year, I will apply again. I will work these years to make the poetry the right way. The problem I have, I don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> and, and I need an advice. I need guidance. Yeah, yeah you said about it. So next day, Roger Weingarten, the, the head of the department, you know, called me. And he talked to me about my poetry. And then, then he, he suggested that I contact, you know, uh, uh, some people in L.A. Uh, that could help me. And then I contacted, right? I contacted Ralph Angel. It was my really great friend, really. We became friends, you know, for life. And unfortunately, he passed two days ago. It was so... Uh, what a loss we have, you know? Yeah. Hmm. That's like you lose somebody like that, then, you know, like you have this something inside you that can never be filled back. Sure. So um spent uh, with Ralph a lot of time. And there was this uh, a professor at... Um, at uh, USC, David St. John's, and talked to him, and the, these people helped me to uh, find poets, find being around them. And, so it, and, it seems like it seems like the step of finding the mentor and surrounding yourself with people who are being what you're trying to be is essential, because yes. that's that's an essential thing. If you really want something, and you really are honest with yourself about what you want. You have to take the step to either be coached or be surrounded by people who are that you can mimic. Yes, but you know they have to be great, right? They yeah. they have to be masters of uh, of the thing. That they have to be people that uh, like Stoics. They are Stoics, right? So they are not people who know about Stoicism. If you want to really become Stoic, you know, find the one that is a Stoic and then is also a teacher and and start there. When you start there, then then you will start with something, you know, beautiful. 
something in front of you will be what you really want to be. So you will be in 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 front of um, something that is real. Mm. And when when you are in front of something that you feel, you sense, you're always comfortable around that, even though it's very challenging. And on on daily, weekly basis, and monthly basis, it's challenging. But it is micro progressive challenging. That's why it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So you, the, the the master will, or you know, the one that is will always make uh, your uncomfortable comfortable. So whatever you are, right? You know, like uh, people come to my place and they are extremely uncomfortable with their bodies and and with uh, um, with their frustrations and, and, you know, in, incapabilities and uh, with uh, instant gratification and they don't have this delay gratification, but it can be developed. It, it can be created through time, right? And then when it's passed the right way by the master, that is embraced by the person and the person is okay with five years. Mm-hmm. And the person is okay with two years or five years or 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, found, um, um, because, you know, Ralph couldn't work with me, with my poetry. And then, uh, and then Davidson Jones uh, suggested Beyond Baroque in, in LA. We, uh, uh, we became the part of the poets and groups and writing. And then uh, I found... Um, Peter Levitt and Peter Levitt was doing the uh, at that time um, groups, teaching groups, poetry groups, and I joined the the group. But the first day when I went to him, uh, he he took this hundred poems, my poems that I sent to Vermont College, right? And he looked what about one second on the the first page. In the middle, about one second, at the end, maybe half a second, drop everything to the ground, it's all garbage. <laughs> that was my 10 years of writing. Yeah. So, and he was sitting, looking at me, right? So, and I was sitting, I was just thinking, and I was just thinking, how the person can look at my <laughs> 10 years of writing and say it's all garbage, it's only like three seconds, right? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't place this in my brain. <laughs> but, you know, I was lucky because at that time I coached my Olympic weightlifting team at the UCLA. And, uh, and then one uh, Paul Volter was sent from Colorado University uh, with a letter. Uh, from his coach, and he was asking me to take over him uh, and help him with pole vaulting, coaching him using Olympic weightlifting. So he came to me, and I took the letter, read the letter, right? And I told him to go and do the snatch. So he took the bar, and he did the snatch. I said, that's enough. And then he said, I can do, that's enough, right? So one second, I needed one second to mm. know everything yeah. about him. You know, what kind of lifting he did, how much he can do, in what style, 
and what he needs to do, how many years he needs to, you know, to spend in order to go to the certain place. And all this, I was really lucky because that happened and Peter was looking at me, right? <laughs> and, and then, you know, he saw that I have this inside my brain, you know, dialogue. And then he said, it's going to be like this. In five years, maybe you will write a stanza. In 10, maybe a poem. In 15, you will know about writing. In 20, maybe you will be a poet. Life will show up. <laughs> and then he was staring at me and said, so, do you want to start? I said, sure. <laughs> 20 years will pass. I want to find out if I am a poet. <laughs> right? and, and, you know, it's really funny about uh, that because uh, it was 94, right? So it's already about 25 years. And I was the mark was coming, the 20 years, yeah? and I had some books published and so on. And I really figured out really during this time, the 20 years, that what is really poetry, right? This poetry is not to be published or not to be published, to be famous or not. Poetry is something that it happens when it happens. This is that uh, when it happens, you know. And you have to love it, like, you know, songwriting uh, or song singing or, or you know, uh, playing piano or lifting weights. You know, I have these two loves, you know, because I love Olympic weightlifting and I love poetry. Mm -hmm. But you you know. When you know, you know. It's it's like when it flows and and it happens to you, then then you crave it. If you're listening to this in the month of May, you're going to find yourself at some point in our rolling semi-annual sale. So for those of you who know our semi-annual sale, it's our second biggest sale of the year. But because of different supply issues and because of the situation we're in right now, we're actually extending this and rolling this out with different categories all throughout the month. So up until May 10th, we have 25% off all of our supplements, Alpha Brain, Total Human, Total Gut Health, Shroom Tech Sport, Creole Oil, Creatine, Total Hemp, New Mood, everything 25% off up till May 10th. And then nutrition, which I'm extremely excited about, starts on 5.11 to 5.17, and that's going to be 20% off. And we also have a brand new product, which is the Protein Power Puffs that we've been working on forever. And that's coming out in the Supreme Pizza flavor. And these are awesome. The macros on these are great. They're super high protein, super low net carbs. So great to support a keto or high protein lifestyle and just a delicious savory snack. And of course, Rogan's favorite fat butter, the whey protein, the plant-based protein on an MCT oil, all of that is going to be 20% off from 5.11 to 5.17. We have all our apparel, accessories, and gear from 5.18 to 5.24, up to 50% off. So you can really stock up on all the best on it gear. And then finally, at the end of the month, we're gonna get a resupply shipment if everything goes well of all of our fitness products. It's been like a global kettlebell shortage and we're gonna say it stops here. It stops here, everyone.
you can get your fucking kettlebells and all of the Onnit Fitness equipment starting 525 to 531 at 18% off. So you can stock up for your home gym. And I know a lot of us have been really working out a lot at home. And this is just going to give you a great opportunity to make sure that you are ready anytime that you want to work out at home. And really look, if you don't have a kettlebell, all you need is one kettlebell and follow Primal Swolger or get the Onnit 6 kettlebell program and you're good. Like your fitness is covered. Kettlebell is like a gym in a single unit. And of course, the mace and the clubs and the ropes and the hydrocore bags and everything else that we have is also phenomenal. So check that out if it's 525 to 531 and get your 18% off. And please navigate through onnit.com slash Aubrey to make sure people know that you're supporting the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoy all of these Onnit products. And thank you so much for all of your support during these times. It means a lot, not only to myself, but also to all the employees and everybody working hard here at Onnit. A lot of people who have these passions, like you have obviously weightlifting, poetry, we feel like, uh, I can't do that because I can't make a living. I can't make money doing those things. A lot of people probably, even if those two things in particular, weightlifting and poetry, yeah, it's, right. not, it's not the easiest way to make money. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter said, you know, I, you know, poetry is like, uh, you know, twin the lines is very fast, you know, very powerful, uh, you know, writing, yeah. And, um, and he said, well, you're attracted to poetry because you snatch, you know, snatch is like intense <laughs> and powerful. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I was, um, uh, it was 87, 87 when I came here and I, uh, went to see the president of American Wildering Association, Bob Heiss. And he was, was a three generations of, uh, weightlifters, beautiful people in Eagle Rock. And then, and I talked to him about what to do. And he said, well, you know, coaches that they come from Bulgaria and Russia and Poland, you know, they, they don't teach weightlifting because there's no money in it. So he said, you know, what they do, usually they open the, the car shops and fix cars because they are usually good with engineering or something like that. And I said, Bob, I don't want to fix cars. <laughs> and and that's so he said, well, you know, maybe you will uh, then um, like something new that is coming. And But some coaches don't like it because uh, it's working with regular people is not really the same as working with athletes. And some coaches don't like it. But you can go and, you know, check it if you do. I said, what is it? And he said, oh, it's called personal trainer, right? Mm -hmm. So it was 87. So then, then I found a place and then I um, found a place in Burbank uh, Power Source and talked to the owner and so on. And then I, um, I was exposed to, uh, to these regular people, right? And writing them programs and, and, and figuring out what to do and how and, and I really loved that. Yeah, I don't know why I loved that. Maybe because I was the fireman or whatever before. But uh, the making money is, um, I couldn't make money to teach people how to snatch. <laughs> With poetry, it's the same way. You know, people, um, 
usually poets are teachers, mm. you know, like creative mm -hmm. writing teachers, and mm -hmm. that's how they make money and the poetry writing. No matter how great the poets are, it's very difficult to live out of poetry. So poetry right. is love. Olympic weightlifting is love. Is uh, um, <laughs> you do it because you love to do it. It just happens that there is no money. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some other people love acting, and there is a lot of money <laughs> there, right? But it's really in life is uh, not important. Yeah, it's well, really not important. What matters is you're doing what you love. Was yeah, it it really matters. It really matters that, uh, and if it happens that uh, it is something that is cannot support you. That's okay. Then you find something very close to it and you do it. At least like, you know, the the poet, poets that teach creative writing or Olympic weightlifters, then they go and now to teach uh, CrossFit or they, they had teams and teach, you know, Olympic weightlifting teams. Yeah. So it's a, uh, you always find a way how to support yourself, but uh, you cannot make out of it a big deal. You know, the more important is that you stay what you love and uh, perf keep perfecting it, perfecting and perfecting throughout the life. And it, it's, it evolves and adapts, you know, poetry, of course, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Olympic weightlifting, you, you kind of lose the power when you age. It doesn't happen in the poetry. Uh, but it, sure. it it happens with Olympic weightlifting, so you, it adapts to the you adapt to the age and you adapt to what you can do. But it's it's the same problem, uh, no matter what, whether you are twenty year old or fifteen year old or sixty years old, right, or mm. sixty five as I am today, right? It's a it's a different uh, adaptation, different different fight, but it's a constant fight you you're a fighter you know you being a poet is not an easy task being a poet is uh, is dealing constantly with extremely difficult um diversity unfortunate people and you write about that so it's it's you write about something how to love uh, you know how to love something that is needing help right how to find yourself in situations where people um, suffer and you share the suffering, so it's a, it's not a, it's not a glory. Poetry is not a glory, you know. So, and sometimes you know happens in paintings that the painters kind of you uh, go with um, painting something for people. And and sometimes they make that money right that way, but most point painters really cannot make a living. Most right, you know, Picasso could make it somehow mm -hmm. because he just did some you know uh, portraits or so. We had this really great uh, friends uh, painters. Usually, they paint portraits, or but it's not really painting. It's not really art. You know, that's like is, being the teacher or the personal fitness coach. Right. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Something it's, close. But not exactly the thing that they love the most. Yeah, when 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 the art really happens, is is you uh, you don't write a poem because somebody asks you for it. You know, the there's no such thing. So that's the divides any kind of art from something that somebody pays for, right? Yeah, that's why the situation is with 
kind of movies and thinking that you are artist or not, right? So uh, if you if you are paid, then then you start really creating some kind of uh, art or whatever it is because somebody paid you, and that can change the the piece of art mm-hmm. or not creating art at all, right? Yeah. Because of that. I really so. I know this is reiterative for people listening, but I'm just going to say before we move on, because I want to talk about what we were talking about earlier, because I really enjoyed that thread of conversation. But <clears throat> one thing I'm going to do as soon as this podcast ends is I'm going to write my list of priorities. I'm going to write my list of priorities down and I'm going to be really be honest with what I, I think. And this is for me, I'm going to be honest with what I want my list of priorities to be. And then I'm going to really look at my life and see what my list of priorities actually are, like what I'm actually doing, because I think there's going to be a difference. And I'm and I'm pretty good, you know. I've accomplished a lot of things, and I'm I'm pretty good at at tracking this. But even with myself, I know that the list of priorities that I want, and the list of priorities of how, what I'm actually doing, they're going to be different. And then I'm going to have to look at those, and I'm wanna, I'm excited to look at those and and ask the question why. Yeah, it's amazing. Thing. Why? Why are my why are the priorities that I want for my life different than the priorities that I'm actually acting? Why? And just get really curious and just keep asking why for as many fucking days as it takes to figure out what the reason is because otherwise those two lists of what you want your priorities to be and what you know your priorities actually are, those should be the same. Yeah, and when it happens you just think about, you know, like a vegetarian right? If you're a vegetarian, you're a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Nobody will corrupt you, right? To eat, you know, meat, right? Mm-hmm. You're a vegetarian. <laughs> that's it. So that's that's how you need to see yourself yeah, in life. If you are Olympic weightlifter, you're Olympic weightlifter. Nobody can take you away from <laughs> that, Right? But it's easier to collapse, let's say, if you're losing weight, yeah? Uh, It's easier to collapse, be corrupted by others than when you are a pianist, right? And then you play piano. So when you are losing weight, it's uh, it's not as priority rooted as uh, it is when you are a pianist or you are a poet. It would be just writing no matter what. So you have to create this something that is extremely important for you, like uh, weight loss for some people, that that has to be priority, like being a pianist or be a vegetarian that way. That's the only way that you actually can uh, achieve and deliver and have results. Otherwise, the priority will shift. Will It will shift. It means that something else will become more important and something else can be important, like a party. Eh? Oh, the party, let's go and then have a party. I was I was in the situation when I was <laughs> young and my uh, friends say, hey, let's go to the party. And I went to the party and the party was until 2 a.m. We were drinking and so on. Next day I went to the gym couldn't lift, <laughs> right? I was like, you know, Micro 5% down. Regression. Yeah, yeah, I was down, right? <laughs> yeah. I said, no parties, man. <laughs> I, 10 a.m., I am in bed. Yeah. Not going anywhere. Unless it is Friday, right? And Saturday, I will not train or Saturday through Sunday. And that can only the day I can go. 
and that is priority. I, I, because you, what has to rule has to rule something extremely important for you, and has to rule everything else. So let's say I have to train, I have to progress, I have to achieve, and then because of that, I will go uh, have fun with my friends on Saturday because Sunday I can sleep, right? That's the only day I will, and that's it. Mm. Whether my friends like it or not, yeah, right? Because that I can I can tell them very fast. Have yourself, right? Yeah, that's yeah, it. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So uh, that's how uh, that's how you really be have to be uh, uh, strong and imaginative in. What is really the priority? So don't pick up too many of those things because if you do, then you know you're not. And, and also succeed. understand why you're setting those priorities because you have to set those priorities. It seems like love is the strongest motivation. You loved you loved your weightlifting. You loved right. your poetry. Like if your if your weight loss is because oh you want your it's not it's not something that you would you love your body and you you love you would love to have your body be able to do different things maybe you want to run or play with your kids or you want to do something more you want to would you say that you know but that's a really great love yeah would you say that setting your priorities based upon love is the most powerful motivating force yes of course and then you know uh i open imagination to people because when they want to lose weight they want to lose weight because they want to be healthy right they want to be around for the grandchildren right they want to uh, live for other people and that has to be uh, expanded in the imagination mm-hmm. when you more expand expand becomes more and more important and becomes actually uh, so important that actually the people can do uh, what they need to do and they don't have a problem with the other thing is you expand the love of less right what is enough what is right so we expand that too so you know there are not only that talk about you, that talk about that more i don't understand that you expand what's less you mean you talk about you talk about what would be what you don't like what you would dislike the things no no that would no be bad? well you know let's say you you like to eat a big plate of food right but you can also uh, fall in love with eating half of the plate of food and then you can take the transition there, and then you become that way. So, mm. so the, you retrain, are, you train yourself to love something different, or love less, right? Or love less. Which so is you different. can you can look at yourself that actually uh, the big plate of food is too much for you, and and then can create some problems. Okay, what kind of problems now that can create? Yeah. So if somebody really cares for living long let's say, right? Mm-hmm. So living long depends on very clear the research points that on CR, calorie restriction and free radicals. So these are the, the two ways, approaches that actually uh, help us to live long. The research on monkeys and rats and so on sure. shows that they can live 40, 50% longer if, the, the restrict, if there is restrictions of calories. It means they have certain body weight and they don't gain weight. All right, that's really important here, and that's the that's the way. So when you expose this to people and say, "Well, you are two hundred pounds, but 
in 200 plants, you are already in danger of certain illnesses and you can, you know, you can die. But if you're 150 pounds, you actually are like this, you know, uh, monkeys that you can live 40% more. If you care for that, it can be really strong. Motivation. Uh, yes, motivation, inspiration to actually make it happen. The other thing it could be very spiritual, right? So it can be spiritual to the uh, to the uh, to the person that uh, excess is uh, is not good, right? If the person in front of you of me is that kind of a spiritual person, that excess is not good, and the person is two hundred pounds, then I talk more about what is excess, where actually we use too much, and when we eat too much then that is actually uh, not, not good for the planet, not good for anybody, mm. and so on. It means that you have, to, in order to keep this 200 pounds, you have to waste. You have to waste certain amount of food that actually you don't need at all, right? So in, in a way, you live the life of excess. It's not good, right? Mm. So that person can really comprehend that. It can get into the person's mind and that person will say you know what yeah I, I see it now right that's not good and that powerful uh statement right there can be uh leading to overcoming any frustration any uh discomfort anything about the food and that person will get 250 pounds and be there right because that that's how powerful that thing is mm. some people really don't like waste at all, right? But they don't know that they are 200 pounds and they waste. So I show them, okay, if you're 200 pounds, you have to eat three times more food than you eat. It means that you spend $3,000, not $1,000. You can save $2,000 if you eat enough, right? So if somebody is, you know, Silicon Valley person and is a data-oriented human being, it's very clear for that person to uh, to say, "Oh, yeah, I, I got it." So wh why I was eating two hundred uh, for that two hundred pounds? Well, it's just a habit. You didn't know that you were supposed to be one hundred fifty pounds. You didn't know that this is your your best. So you you became two hundred pounds, and nobody told you that you were supposed to be one hundred fifty, right? So when you actually know, then. That knowing that 150 pounds rules your life and rules everything around. It's so powerful. So like for me, it's 140 pounds, right? So in the Happy Body book, we, I aligned, I removed completely vagueness out of the fitness. So transparency is 100%. It means I have a number. I have 140 pounds number, right? So I live that number. And that is powerful number because that, that number helps me to be 140 pounds. If I didn't know that number, then then I could be 180 or 170 or remember 110, right? Why not to be either way? So, uh, but since I know the number, then I deal with my frustrations, then I deal with my self-control, then I deal with, uh, with becoming a better person when I actually, you know, be able to make it happen. I eat only what's enough for that 140 mm. pounds and no more. And since, since you eat only what's enough, it's enough is, is really interesting because 
when you eat enough, you never waste. You eat everything on the plate. Mm. We, we do not waste. You know, when I put people on the happy body program, then don't waste at all because they eat only enough. And it's always like some kind of not enough. And that is the, uh, the Japanese way of living. Uh, it's called hibachi. Ikigai. Is that it's, right? it's, it's, I don't know the name. I don't remember. But they eat only when they're 80% full. Mm. But that is eating just enough, right? When you eat that, that way, they eat everything what is on your plate. Mm. But when you don't know about this, you don't eat everything what is on the plate. You waste a lot. You waste by preparing. You waste by not eating everything. Since you create a lot of waste. Mm. One of the things that, you know who Tony Robbins is? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that he has people do is he also has people live the opposite reality, the contrast. You know, so he explores like what happens. So let's say someone is 100 pounds overweight and he has them, he will have them go through, just as an example, he'll have them go through the life and what the life means and what that's going to do to the body over time, what that's going to do yeah. the imagination. He, he, paints, imagination. he paints the imagination of yes. the negative side right. as well as painting the imagination of the positive side. Do you think that that's productive? Yes, very productive because, you know, you open uh, for the person imagination and consequences, mm. consequences of good, consequences of bad, and you open both and it can be very uh, motivational. I, I had this teacher one, I remember, and and she was an alcoholic, and she was uh, she was still a teacher, and she was drinking. And at one session, I painted her whole future, and almost day, week by week, micro progression. What will happen? I said, I told her, today you are drinking, and your principal doesn't know yet. But you will keep drinking. And one day he will look at you and he will see something. He will be puzzled by something, right? But you will hide well because you are hiding well. You're drinking. So, uh, so he will talk to you because he will be uh, puzzled by that. And then uh, you will go away with it. And then one day will come that uh, uh, the principal will look at you and will see something uh, that, uh, again, that's what he saw. And he would think that, well, it, 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 something is off with you. Something you are tired mm. or exhausted or something. He would be looking for uh, why you are the way you are. You become a little bit sloppy and then you will forget things. Maybe you will be aggressive and this is going to happen. Eventually, he will find out what's going on. And then he will face you and he will talk to you. And then, uh, of course, you will say, ah, well, you know, yeah, I understand, and so on. You will promise that you will be not drinking, and so on. And of course, you will be br drinking, right? You know, mm. Let's say maybe you you flip, but let's say you keep drinking and you don't care. Then eventually you will be fired. And when you are fired, you you go to your family. You have two children. You have your husband, and then you you are at home. You are drinking. You have two kids, right? And then it will go slowly that interaction between your your husband, he will be pushing for you to go to recovery. To, 
to help yourself. And then uh, if you don't do that, that too will be very frustrating interaction between both of you. It will end up probably in the divorce. And in divorce, you will lose your children because you mm. will not have your children because you are an alcoholic, you are irresponsible, you don't have the job. And then you will end up in a somewhere apartment, one room, alone, with, without nobody. Mm. That's how it's going to be. And that from that probably will go into the stronger drugs and, and maybe on the street. Yeah. And you end alive there. Well, this is it in front of you. It can maybe take two years or five years, but it will go that direction. Yeah, so it's either progression or regression. And you paint both with your imagination to see right. the reality that it could be each, and then that, if that you, becomes the if motivation. You, yes, if you now really stop, really, and and stop drinking, so I, I, I told her first, let's set up on a one drink a day, only one glass, no more. No two or three and four or no the whole bottle. They just fight with that. Fight with one thing, right? One drink. And so she was fighting with this one drink for a month or two. Very frustrating, but she was fighting with. Then I said, okay, now we have to drink every other day. Monday, Friday, Tuesday, no drinking, right? And then months again with this, frustrations and so on. And then I said, okay, Monday, Friday, no drinking. You drink Friday, Saturday, only these two. And only one drink. One drink is enough. So that, I wrote, I wrote this poem about one drink because it's, uh, the, the, the one drink is a very powerful thing. You know, I always tell people, listen, this is what happens to me. When I go to a dinner, when I have a dinner, then I have a drink. And then when I drink one, it's good. I feel good, happy, and everything is fine. Then I have another. When I have another, then uh, I'm, you know, like have a little bit of anxiety. Uh, I'm uh, more anxious and I talk louder, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so on. When I have third, I have to say that I was sorry next day because <laughs> I did. I messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he came out with the idea to drink one drink at a dinner or wherever you are. So, uh, when I go to a restaurant, I have uh, always um, uh, vodka with uh, fresh lime, squeeze uh, lime or lemon, and. I will drink a little bit and I have a sparkling water and I fill up the glass. I keep filling up the glass and drinking. That goes slowly into me and with micro progression in a way, right? And then after about an hour or hour, one and a half, I just have only sparkling water. But that's good. I, I'm okay with that. And I it's my setup. Mm -hmm. So then... Um, that prevents me because the glass is full from the waiter who comes in and say, do you want another one? Right? But that's inviting to, to the danger zone. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't happen. So uh, that's my strategy to, for you know, one, one drink. I have another strategy with the apples. 
when I eat apples, I can eat 10 or 20 apples. I just love apples, <laughs> right? But, you know, enough is enough, right? Yeah. So it's there is a, such a thing to know what is enough. And I know because I am 140 pounds, so I know that I can gain a lot of weight on apples. <laughs> <laughs> so when I drive a car, I say, okay, it's 30 minutes, and I'm going to eat this apple, and I will finish the apple when I arrive. And that sets up my brain to uh, some to, so to achieve something because I'm really strong achiever. So I have to achieve, and I can achieve, you know, eating ten apples, right, twenty apples in this thirty minutes. But I also achieve eating one apple in thirty <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so it's very important to set up your know, uh, kind of, you know, what you're going to do uh, with. Uh, perspective to something what is intelligent and what is uh, mathematical in numbers and why is it that way and that can help then yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense and i think what you're saying too is a lot of times i think people try to go from drinking to zero drinks ever i'm never drinking again oh it's a tough one it's a tough one it's tough to go there because there's no there's no progression there's no plan and then if you have if you say i'm gonna have no drinks and then you have that first drink but that's not part of the plan and it's like well i'm already off the plan anyways might as well have all the drinks and then you start you, you lose you lose trust in yourself but this they you, lose, you lose the faith in yourself yeah if you break that but if you have a progression that you can hold to right and like that's just enough you have just an, you have just the right amount of discipline to hold to that then it seems like that's going to create the habit change that you're really looking for well, that's that's the whole, uh, you know, the journey that the brain comes from two hundred pounds to one fifty, and love one fifty. Because it's easy to become one hundred fifty pounds, but if if the brain is not shifting toward one fifty, it will take you back. Uh, as soon as you are one fifty, the brain's hey hey. Let's go and have party. Let's go and eat. Let's go to eat this. Forget about this, this, uh, this diet that you are doing now. You are one fifty. You can't do now things, right? <laughs> uh, you, we can go. Okay, we go, right? And then suddenly you're one sixty, one seventy, one eighty, one ninety, two ten, right? And then you wake up. So um, it's over and over. That same thing happens over and over. Why? Because the the, the the brain is not developing the frontal lobe. Frontal lobe brain is more on the delay gratification, self-control, you know, the hard choices and so on. The midbrain in the middle is on instant gratification. So teaching people instant is now. I want now and that's it, right? So um, there was this study in um, at Stanford about with kids that were four years old and Marshmallows. Marshmallows. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, some of them, they resisted. Some of them, they didn't. When they revisited these kids, uh, you know, 25 years after, those who could resist, they had the delay gratification already genetically, right? So they, uh, they had a good life, organized life. They usually had a uh, college degree and, you know, you know financial uh, stability, they had everything good, usually married, children. Others had problems, right? So um, 
So the development of this delay gratification is extremely important in life. I mean, it, it comes with this, uh, this micro-progression because becoming a good person in life is aligned with it. That's why maybe people are so attracted to Stoicism and Stoics because Stoics are really, the idea is to be a good person, a virtuous person. But that's the uh, development of delay gratification, mm. development of self-control, development what is good, what is right. And it's a very progressive uh, journey toward becoming a good person. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I think this has given me a lot of tools to uh, even myself, you know, to both for coaching and both for my own life and both hopefully for everybody listening. So it's clear that you've not only developed mastery as a as a weightlifter and as a poet, but also as a coach, because uh, that's coming that's coming through really clear in this podcast. And uh, it was a real it was a real pleasure to have you, man. Well, thank you. It was really fantastic, and you know, I hope that you know people get you know something out of it that they will be able to implement some. You know, we don't know how the words work really and uh, how we talk right but the you know the thing with words is that the right words to the right person in the right time is magic mm. and it happens that's why i love to talk to people because i never know what work you know like one day this this client came and and she was really doing very well right and the two years passed, and and I said, "Wow, you know, you do everything what I said, and 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 everything is working. Uh, how did it happen? I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you told me, and I said, "What did I tell you?" I, she said, <laughs> "She said, two years will pass." I said, "I said that, and then yeah, and then." That that was it. He said, "Yeah, that that worked with me. And that motivated, inspired me to everything what was needed to do." How would you know? Right? Nobody knows. Sure. That's why it's so important that we talk a lot mm-hmm. and keep talking because you know uh, some people after this podcast will like three words from here, but others five words from there. Others, they will just two words there. But we don't know which mm. one and to whom. Mm. That's why, you know, thank you for, you know, inviting me. Yeah, Absolutely. It was a pleasure to yeah. share. Yeah, likewise. Myself. Likewise. <laughs> All right, so you have a book, The Happy Body. Um, people can get that book, I'm sure. And where else... Where else can people find more of your teachings and more of maybe your poetry or anything else? Where can people learn more, read more, experience more? Well, the, the books are on Amazon, so people can get there. Um, reading is uh, reading is a fantastic thing. I, I think that it's good that we have we have books. Mm-hmm. Cannot imagine my life with without books. Books are everywhere in my 
how home yeah. in meditation room in the gym <laughs> in in the kitchen and in in the living room yeah. right books are uh, precious so you know having uh, having books is uh, is a great thing i i remember tignahan and then you know i was ordained by him uh, as a buddhist and then um, i read every book of his mm. wherever Wherever books knew, and it was, I was inhaling these books like, you know, uh, good food. It's just all the words, beautiful words, really. It's just like you're reading and it's just going into you and it feels so good. It feels so good. Mm. And, ah, books. Well, I, I hope that, you know, my books will create some of it. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. People. I'm sure they will. And I'm sure this podcast will as well. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you much, my friend. Pleasure. All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast with Jersey Gregorick. Once again, if you're interested, check out his book, The Happy Body. And we'll be back next week with another guest. I love you guys so much, and I'll see you soon.